Learn how to manage your energy and grow your capacity in 10 minutes a day. If you've ever heard me talk about energetic time management, it's the core skill that I teach all my clients. I created this over 10 years ago when I was in the middle of recovering from stage four cancer. I had to figure out how to work, how to parent and take care of myself. And that's how ETM or energetic time management was born. And for a limited time, I'm going to be giving it away. Yep, you heard me correctly. I'm giving the actual skill and the step-by-step away to you. My, it's my ETM habit challenge. So head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N dot com forward slash E-T-M and use promo code podcast to get free access for a limited time. Did you know you're my favorite? I love my podcast listeners and I want to get to know you better. So I would love for you to head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash chat. This is a way for you to text me, to send me a video, um, and to connect with me. So maybe there's something that I said on the podcast, or maybe I might say to you, go text me the word, and I'll tell you a word. That's where we're going to do it. So I want you to be able to connect with me. Tell me what other episodes you want me to talk about, um, what your biggest takeaway and aha moment was. This is all about community. So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash chat. Let's get to know each other. Why are you here? What's your biggest takeaway? What type of supports are you seeking? Who do you want me to interview next? heatherchauvin.com forward slash chat. C-H-A-T. Abby Tall, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. I feel like we're getting caught up. There's so much newness in the world and in your world. Um, And we're going to talk about this right before I hit record. We were talking about, well, your new book that's coming out, Reclaiming Play. Mm -hmm. And I love to talk about things that are emotionally uncomfortable. I also like to um, parent differently than cultural expectations. And I think you're an expert when it comes to creating independent play for our children. And we're going to be talking about working from home and all the things. Um, so I'm going to let you dive in because this is such a hot topic, but I want to start this with something that triggers me. You know, when you like watch things online and you're like, no, like that's what happens for me. Mm-hmm. It was a man saying it. So I understand this is a different perspective and a cultural expectation, but somebody that I follow who gets a lot of pats on the back for this statement is every time my children want to play with me, I will never say no to them. And as a woman, that feels exhausting to me. Um, and also maybe a little to me personally, a little toxic. So I'm just curious your perspective Mm -hmm. on play, the history of it, and all the things of why this is such a passion for you. Oh, awesome. And that's such a great setup there. Uh, I totally feel why your blood would boil over over a sentence like that, as sweet and well-intentioned as it is. 
Um, and I think that's that's a place that many of us parents want to be. We want to be open and loving and a, a yes parent, right? Always connecting and sitting on the floor and playing for hours. And I think it's got this kind of beautiful <clears throat> aura around it. Um, but I also think it's a fantasy, and I I, I think it's worse than a fantasy. If I if you'll allow me a little harshness here, I think that's quite a damaging. A way of parenting, um, not just for you, the parent. You were mentioning how it could exhaust us, um, which is a very real thing. As you know, burnout is a very real risk. It's not just a cute little, you know, worry. It's real. We're parenting in the long haul. We have to be here for these children, not just today, but tomorrow and in a year and in 10 years and in 20 and 30 years. Like this is a lifelong relationship. And if you are pouring all you've got in it, it, I think that that really does run the risk of burnout and exhaustion, which in turn, you could say, well, I don't even care about myself. I'll give it my all. I'll be exhausted. I'll sleep in the grave. You could say all of that. Fine. Uh, but in turn, that breeds resentment of your children, right? And that festers in, on a gut level. Um, it comes out in ways that you never expected, in explosions, in uh, apathy to, to other issues that are going on. Because when you give more uh, than you wanted to, than you were you know, really uh, in, in a position to, it's not, uh, it's not actually to their benefit in the long haul. But I think all of that could be put to one side for a second. And I want to focus on the even more interesting, I think, issue here, because we all know self-care. I hope I hope that's already really I know that you beat that drum and I really hope that people are hearing that. But what people might not realize is that there are many, many tremendous and significant and lifelong benefits and evidence based benefits to independent play. And that means independent of adult intervention and even of adult supervision. Right. And when you play with your child, yes, you're being loving and you're giving attention and connection. And those are good things. But you are also inadvertently uh, and unintentionally uh, stealing away from them the one area of their life that they can have complete and full control and autonomy over. And that area is so critically important to their development that if you look at any mammals, any mammals, they play. And by the way, their parents do not play with them. I mean, that's a gross statement and it's too broad. Of course, there are times when parents rough and tumble and tickle and lick and groom and do all sorts of things. Sure. But for the most part, if you can imagine that lion family, you'll see the lioness is lazing on the rock in the sun while the cubs are rolling around in the grass and she's not getting in their business. And that's because she understands that she is no longer a cub and she doesn't need to do that anymore. And in fact, if she did, that would disturb them. That would actually disturb their independence and it would overshadow them. And I'll just say one last sentence on this is that we, we adults, we have fully developed prefrontal cortexes. We have life experience. We have full vocabularies. We understand the sensory difference between wet and dry and hot and cold and all the things that children are learning through mm-hmm. play. So when you come in and they're like, oh, do you want to play mermaids with me? And you're like, okay, yes. I always say yes to my children. I'll play mermaids. Then you come in and you don't even realize it, but you have better ideas. You have better solutions. You can reach for the things they can't reach for. You can build the things they can't build. And all of that love, it actually becomes a little bit of that devouring mother, as Jordan Peterson would put it, right? That mother who who overloves and actually ends up potentially suffocating. So it's it's a it's you know it goes deep. I would say that statement. Yeah, and it you know as I'm listening to you, a few things that came up is codependency, um, and guilt, 
And I always talk about managing your own emotions. And if you're like, well, I play with them because I feel guilty because I'm out all day or blah, 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 or we're separated. It's like, but you're, that's so self-fulfilling. And so, okay, let's talk about the huge pink elephant in the room, Mm -hmm. which is screen time. Mm -hmm. So what happens, and I'm sure you get this all the time where parents are like, okay, yeah, I let them play independently because I have to even because I just have to work. And then Mm -hmm. they're knocking on the door being like, I want screen time. I want this. Like, how do I get them to play independently when I have things to do? And they're just annoying the crap out of me when they're not on screens. Like what, how are you, this is different in our history for sure is the amount of screen time. Completely. Everything's different, right? There are lots of different things. And I, you know, I like to describe, you know, play has literally disappeared from our landscape in the Western world. Like it's, there's a clear and stark demise of play over the last 30 years or so. Um, Kids used to be playing for hours a day, all summer long, that kind of thing, weekends. Um, And yes, screens are one of the issues that have come in and kind of there is such a thing as independent play on screens, you know, okay, if you're playing Minecraft, does is does that constitute creative play or not? You know, I'm, I land somewhere in the middle. I think to an extent, yes, but you also need to have real life play. Um, but with that, um, there are many other things that contribute to it. So I want to go into them a little bit and say, we can manage these, but you've got to be that kind of countercultural, somewhat brave person that's willing to go through the threshold of initial resistance. Because as you say, you know, and I know what that's like. I work from home. I I always have done. Um, I have five children and they do disturb and they do ask for screens and they do get bored. And so I, I, they fight and, you know, all those different things. I know I really, you know, if you've experienced that, I've probably experienced something similar. I, I feel that frustration and that irritation of just, I need to get this done or I'm in a meeting or whatever it is just here. The screen is such an easy solution to that. Um, Look, I take a pretty hard line on screens. I know that's not always the most popular opinion. And, you know, I I, I come from a place that's judgment-free because I understand how, you know, how reliable and how easy and how useful they are. And I also am not a technophobe. Look, my whole business is built on a screen. Yours is. Like, there's an amazing, amazing things to be done with screens. And as I say, there are times and places for it. Um, but I also think it's really well documented at this point, the level of dopamine dependency that develops with a screen, uh, you know, it really does become a little bit like a substance and you need to manage that use. And I think as parents, you know, I don't take that kind of unschooling approach, that free for all approach. I believe that it's our role and our duty to kind of mitigate that use and put the screens in their proper place. So the way I like to kind of the metaphor I use for it is that I think they're a little bit like fl- like fire, right? And that fire can be used uh, when used safely and in a contained way. It's amazing. It's life-changing. It can be life-saving. You know, it can cook our food. It can heat our homes. But when you let it out of control, it can burn the house down. And yeah. so I, I, I personally think... I want to kind of hand back those reins to the parents and say, no, take the lead on this. Decide what are the boundaries? How many hours? When? What? Uh, etc. You know, and as children grow o- older, I think we can gradually kind of transfer more and more responsibility and, and freedom as they show us their capacity to handle those things. Um, but I would say, especially in the early ages, that I think a reduced, you know, a reduced time on the screen is better. And when, when there, you know, we have, for example, we're, we're Jews and we celebrate Sabbath. So there's a 25 hour screen free Sabbath for the adults as well right? For the adults as well. So we're all off our screens every weekend, for example. Um, The rest of the time we have just 
clear guidelines of when we do and when we don't and, and, and et cetera. And the, the fact is that when there are clear boundaries around something, I find that very liberating because it really reduces the amount of power struggles. My kids aren't coming and asking continuously because they just know, oh, it's on Sundays. Oh, it's, you know, they just know when um, they've heard that no so many times and the yes, the other times that they don't need to continue to struggle with me about it. And what I want to say is that that in turn breeds imagination and play with Lego or outside, you know, running, you know, riding their bikes, et cetera, because when there is no screen, you do find other solutions. You actually do, but you have to go through the initial, right. That kind of, that kind of detoxifying of the screen. Well, yeah. I mean, there's so much that could go, like we could be talking about here and what comes up for me, of course, we talked briefly about boundaries. That's a whole course in itself. You know, yes. what comes up for you with the emotional discomfort of your children, giving you that pushback, hanging on long enough to be like, you know, once you just reiterate it, they're like, they'll even say to each other, give it up. She's not going to give in. Like you, you've taught your children what your boundaries are, which is so beautiful. And I also love your approach where it comes to, listen, this is my perspective. This is what works for me. And this is what I, I preach. But if you want to live a different path and that works for you, then do it. I always just tell people like, it's just like diet culture or anything else. Like you're like parent like this, read this parenting book, do this. You're like, yeah, but there needs to be some like self-reflection and self-trust. Does this work for you? Does this work for the season and parenting that you're in? And even having this conversation with you, there's times where I can see like, I keep instilling this boundary, but I'm not following through with it. That's my responsibility. It's not my children's responsibility. It's my responsibility to be like, okay, done this is happening and owning it. Because if you play this chicken or like this in, out, in, out energy, it's prolonging your agony and that doesn't support your children either. So I know, let's talk about your, your book, your framework, all of the things where parents are like, how the heck do I even begin beyond screens to start with this reclaiming play? Amazing. Yeah. I love everything you just said. It's, <laughs> it's such a journey to set boundaries, but it's very liberating in the end. So, okay. So the, the journey to reclaim play is first of all, the understanding that play has tremendous benefits and that it's worth it, right? It's not just one of those archaic things that we can just be like, oh, that's part of history. We don't need that anymore. Um, it's actually encoded into our DNA. It's how humans have evolved. As I say, it's how all cubs evolve. And the longer the, the childhood, the more intelligent the species so when you have really complex species like humans, we actually need this long childhood in order to learn all these different skills, right? We don't just need to know one clear set of skills like hunting, right? We need to know many, many, many skills, social and emotional skills, physical strength and physical, uh, you know, body awareness and spatial uh, recognition and all of that. Uh, we also have academic skills in our culture, right? We need to learn reading, writing, arithmetic, et cetera. Um, so there are all these different types of skills. And the amazing thing is that all of them are improved through independent play. Literally, when you are doing nothing, you're sitting on your couch and drinking your coffee and reading your book and your child is playing, whether that's with dolls or imaginary play or running around and, you know, just imagining that they're Superman or uh, putting on a show, all the different types of play address different areas. And I often like to think how we adults, we spend so much time and energy and money on like, you know, yoga classes and meditation classes and creativity, all these different things that we try to learn. And much of this, including rest, including stretching their bodies and just being, being in touch with their bodies, all sorts of things like that are encoded in play. And the cool thing is it's free. 
Um, it's completely accessible and you really don't need anything to do it. It's encoded naturally. And that means that you can avoid the power struggles around this. So yes, to begin with, you need to establish it, right? You need to make space for it. And the cool thing is that even the establishing is about doing less, not more, right? There are a few things you could do, but mostly you need to do less. You need to be less involved. Uh, You need to be more trusting. You need to be more relaxed. You need to make space, physical space. So there's less toys, uh, and emotional and, and most mostly time, right? So that there's less in the schedule. And when you do that, you'll see that play will will come in and fill up those spaces. The imagination will work. So I'll just give you a quick um, overview of, of where I think play has gone. And much of this we've already touched on, but I like to say that play has been stolen. And I use mm. the acronym stolen to really outline where it's gone. And I think that really is a good mirror image to how we get it back. So just as a, as a quick one, the S is about safetyism. So that's about us parents being a lot more risk tolerant and trusting our children. Um, even within our home, often we don't trust them, uh, you know, to take on a project, to do things uh, that may, you know, use a hot glue gun when you're nine or, you know, uh, climb on something when you're three, et cetera. So obviously within reason, but being allowed to take more risks allows our children to step into independence And if we're constantly mitigating that, saying, no, 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 be careful, stop, 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 and and watching and observing, we're kind of telling them, don't even try. You can't do it. You know, you'll never succeed. I need to help you. Let me save you. And we're keeping them very small, even in that realm of play that is, you know, so, so much the birthright of childhood. That's the S. And then the T is tech addiction, which we've already discussed. And that's about just putting the boundaries on the screen so that it doesn't take up, you know, whatever you might say about screen usage, one of the worst parts of screen usage is what it takes away from, right? We're not outside anymore. Being outdoors is such an amazing mood elevator and all of that stuff. We're not moving our bodies when we're on a screen. That's why my personal screen time preference would be something like, you know, a we or something where you actually are, uh, you're not sedentary, you're actually moving your body. But anyway, that's tech addiction. And then O is overachievement. So that's about ushering our children about from scheduled activity to schedule activity, which are all, by the way, adult uh, organized, adult directed, right? So when did they get to be autonomous? When did they get ownership over what's happening? And the overachievement really becomes this kind of resume building in childhood rather than teaching them to, you know, do things that are also intrinsically rewarding, like play is, When you look at play, there is no certificate or accolade, trophy, you know, nothing happens. And so many parents just don't even see it. It becomes invisible to us because we're so invested in our children's achievement. But research shows there's a direct correlation between childhood play and academic achievement later in life. So this in in many regards is not a it's not a it's not a contradiction, but rather something that supports the same goal of achievement. And then the L is about loneliness, and that is really a tough, you know, it's like a an endemic to our society that we're so isolated and it's very hard to trust children and to let go and to relax when you're just you two, you know, or just whatever, a family of two, four, etc. It's very isolated and focused. And when you observe what happens in, in hunter-gatherer groups and in indigenous people, when they when their children are playing, um, they're playing with each other. Um, and the adults disperse the responsibility of watching the children, right? They're all kind of keeping half an eye out. And that becomes a lot more of a much more relaxed environment to do that in. And so I would just say that the action item on that point is really to to do whatever you can to form close bonds with families around you, with extended family, with people in your neighborhood that can create that kind of network for your child to move more freely within. 
And then the E is about excess. And that's about just having too much stuff, literally physical stuff in our space. We mm. often think, okay, I'll buy this toy. I'll buy that toy. Then my kids will play. Then they'll keep busy. And you all know this experience that you bought the toy. They're so excited for the first hour. And by the next day, it's crunching underfoot. You know, it's becoming more junk and more clutter. And it's so stressful. Um, and if you think about it, we have this mistaken idea that I buy more toys, it equals more play, but toys are the tools of play. So if you think about your own work, you know, if you came to your desk and you had seven more computers, that would not make you more productive. That would make you more overwhelmed. And you would just be like, I don't even know where to begin. And then finally the N, and this is really kind of full circle to the beginning of our conversation is about narration. And it's about that kind of misguided advice, well-intentioned, it's all well-intentioned, but it's misguided that parents should be narrating. We should be commenting. We should be praising. We should be involved. We should be on the floor saying yes, playing with our children every single time. And as well-intentioned as that is, and a lot of it stems from that 30,000 word gap study where people are like, okay, I've got to increase my child's vocabulary. Again, a loving thing to do, but I say, do attach to your children. Secure attachment is critical. Bond with them, snuggle with them, kiss them, feed them, bathe them, drive them places, do all the stuff that you're doing for your children. Play is the one area where you don't have to do it. And I, I especially don't recommend doing it begrudgingly. Because, you know, if I call my friend up and I'm like, hey, do you want to go for a coffee? And she's like, you know what? I really don't have time for this, but fine. Yes, I'll come with you for a coffee. Like, forget it. I don't want you to come with me for a coffee, right? But that's what we're teaching our kids to accept this kind of, you know, you know, half in, half out emotional availability. And I think, you know, for me, at least I have a play date with my kids every Saturday afternoon. We get out the Lego and we have a big Lego, you know, build together and I love it and I actually enjoy it and I can really show up to it and and if I can't or I'm too tired or whatever then we cancel that week but they know that that's when I'm kind of building and playing with them because I enjoy it and I think if you love it then go for it you know forget everything I just said if it works for you amazing although even then I would say the independent piece is important too so that's the narration and and that's kind of how I see where where we can kind of grab play back from is from all of these of these categories so much goodness in there, unlearning, relearning. Um, and I'm always going through the lens of like, how do you want to feel? And I remember during COVID saying this to myself and my family, I'm like, I just want the children to feel safe and loved. Um, but I am not here to entertain and I am not here to, um, you know, be a teacher and do all those things. I am working, um, and I'm not taking more on. So I just want you to feel safe and I want you to feel loved. And I think safety is such a big part of this. Like just because my children are in the other room, like they can still feel connected to me. I can still feel connected to my children. It's, it really is about the energy that we bring to those conversations. Um, and the expectations that we put on ourselves. And I think we need to give ourselves more credit that yes, history has changed and culture has changed, but like, why are you doing something that is not serving you and how that doesn't serve the child? Cause I know when you shift the energy, everyone's annoyed, right? Like you're like, this is new, but it takes time for, for the cultural energy, like the ecosystem in your home to change. So we need to be a little bit of the rebel. We need to like shift our, our 
identities when it comes to that heal our own wounds, whether it's like, oh my gosh, my child's going to become like this. And it's like, well, where does that come from? Right? So there's a lot going on here. I want to talk about how, um, you can work from home while your children, your five, your five children are having independent play. Because I'm sure when you make that statement, people are like, how do you do that? Because I hear a lot of people being like, I need more childcare. I need more of this. I need more of that. And I've, I've been able to co-create with my kids, especially when they were younger. And there was a part of me, like, yes, it was nice to have them outside of the home for a little bit. Um, but it actually didn't make it easier because then emotionally they were gone, but then I was still worrying about them. So I'm like, it didn't give me more time or energy because there's an emotional component to it. But I always struggled when people are like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm like, I can under and empathize with that, but you don't have to entertain your children all the time because they're in your physical presence. So that work thing, that working from home with your children in the home. Yeah, that's a huge question. And I have, you know, trainings on this, et cetera, because it's, 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 it's something I really want for other parents to be able to do. It's such a, you know, for me, it's changed my life and made a lot of things possible. And I also just want to recognize before I outline some of the strategies is that I know that there's lots of different types of temperaments, lots of different types of kids, of physical homes, of schedules, of work, right? So, you know, you have, like we said at the beginning, you've got to take what works and leave the rest and make this apply to you and your individual situation. Um, but I, I'm happy to kind of serve as an example in the sense that it is possible. I'm not saying it's possible for everyone all the time, but I, I think as a culture, we're still kind of trying to navigate this, you know, work life balance and how we do it. And everything's changed so drastically with working from home becoming, you know, almost the norm, I would say in, in many, in many areas. And so, you know, and then we have people who have their children in, in childcare all day, people who have a, a little bit of help here and there, people who live with their grandparents in the house and lots of different levels of support. Um, I, I think, I guess, you know, if I just pull something out of my training, the, the best tool that I have found is to understand what type of work you actually have to get done and and really be discerning because if we still kind of think about the nine to five in the office and we just kind of think, okay, nine to five, I need to uh, be at work and that's my time and it's blocked off and it's completely segregated from my family. And so whatever happens there, it happens there. But even within an office, that's not, you know, those hours are not packed with productivity, right? <laughs> people are having lunch breaks and people are having conversations and cooler talks and um, et cetera. There's actually probably only about two or three hours a day that any one of us can manage focused, in-depth and uninterrupted time. Um, and what I've noticed is that for me, that's things like doing an interview, podcast recordings. Those are times where I really cannot have little voices in the background, or I can't stop in the middle to handle a tantrum. And so those are the times where I say, okay, that's like my red light work, right? If there was like a, a traffic light on my door, that would be the red light where no one could come in. And so I have to be realistic. What are the times where I can ensure that basically my children won't disturb? So that's when there's another adult watching them, right? So that's when they're at daycare or that's when grandma's around or babysitter, whatever, uh, or your partner. And then Often when they're on screens, that's a time where they're not going to disturb you. So I kind of will use that time very, you know, very precisely. Um, and, and the other times when they're sleeping. And the truth is that kids need between 12 and 16 hours of sleep a night, depending on their ages. And adults, you know, 
if if you're getting eight, that's fantastic. So you've already just got four hours of work potentially when they will not disturb you. And so it's very hackable once you start looking at it in a very pragmatic way. Like I can get focused adult free work without paying anyone even, not that that's a bad thing, pay someone if you can, but I'm just saying, even if you didn't want to do that, while they're sleeping, you already have four hours that you're awake and they're asleep. But then we tend to use that time for other things like housework, like, okay, maybe doing yoga, having a shower, chatting on the phone. Those are the types of things that I do when my kids are around. I like to involve my kids in housework. I like to work out when they're there and that's witnessing that and modeling that for them. Not always. Sometimes I'll be out in the gym or whatever, but I'm just saying we don't have to, we can remix, we can reshuffle, right? The connection. So, and then I would say, the majority of my work is the type of work that I can do uh, where I call it kind of the orange light or the yellow light. Uh, the yellow light is, is look, I'm, I'm busy. I'm focused on this. I'm not giving you attention. I'm not playing with you. I'm not, but if I need to stop and, you know, wipe something or help someone or quickly fix them a snack, I can, nothing will happen. It's not like when I'm recording something. And if you think all of the emails, all of the writing that you do, um, all of the, you know, designing things online, anything that you're doing really on the computer that isn't like a recording, you can do while your kids are playing next to you. And so, yeah, my kids are there. If there's any crisis, if they need anything, they come and tell me if someone's screaming, I pause and I go and listen into what's happening. But overall, I can sit like that for hours. Right. And I, you know, I can be designing websites. So there's so much you can do. And then of course there's the green light. And that's also important when you actually switch off from work and you're present with your family. Um, and we spoke about that earlier, but that's, that's of course crucial too, especially to the guilt piece. You know, I'm like, look, I know that for me, at least, you know, dinner and bedtime, I'm pretty much never working during those times because I really love to be present. Right. I know on the weekends, I'm completely disconnected and I'm with my family. That's what works for me. Uh, and that frees up my guilt. I'm like, okay, but the rest of the time, someone's going to earn a living around here. I'm going to work, you know? And I love my work and I love what I'm doing and I love what I'm modeling for my kids. They see someone who is, you know, driven and ambitious and, and hardworking. And um, they're also learning a lot of the skills that it takes to run a business and that kind of thing. So I think it's a win-win uh, when it's, you know, more integrated and, and more um, complementary in that way. Yeah so much that I want to say about that. Um, I really appreciate that one, I think just like an excess of toys, the overscheduling, um, when it comes to business, there's so much busy work that is, you could literally cut your workload in half. Um, I know a lot of people spend way too much time on social media. Um, I personally don't feel like you even need social media to build the business. Um, I don't feel like you're super active on your social media, right? Like you post basically left social media about a year and a half ago. I don't even have the apps on my phone anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, someone on my team will just post updates, you know, when we have a podcast out, et cetera. Uh, but I'm, you know, I found it so draining and And your business is growing. My business is growing. Yeah. Yeah. My business is growing. I I mean, I, whatever, I get it. I get it. Why people feel like they need to show up everywhere. I just do not feel the need and I haven't seen any kind of change in my business as a result. I love it. I, every time. Yeah. There's no direct for me personally, there's no direct ROI. I think Mm -hmm. social is, Oh, look, I found her. So I heard her name somewhere. It's a gain, no like, and trust. Okay. Go back, buy her book, go back, listen to her podcast, get closer. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's a business card. And, but I don't want to be living on social. People are like, I want to see what you're up to. I'm like, great. I don't want you to see what I'm up to because I'm being present. (laughs) 
And I, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you might find out what I'm up to, but also, you know, that's a whole other conversation about using your children in your brand, but my kids are getting older and they're like, do not post that picture. Do not post that video. Um, and I, you know, I want to respect their privacy, their stories, their life as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's wild, but I'm all about desire. I'm like, if you keep writing, Mm. wouldn't it be nice if I could get off social media? Wouldn't it be nice? Like feel into that because that's a breadcrumb towards this bigger conversation of like reclaiming play. It's like, you're reclaiming your life. You're reclaiming your time. You're reclaiming your energy. Um, and I'm sure you have witnessed this or you hear this a lot, but some of what you're saying, I'm like, okay, we've already implemented that. We can, of course, I'm, I'm, my kids are not like me after this conversation and be like, okay, guys, starting with, you know, summer's coming, spring is mm-hmm. coming. The sun is shining longer. It's like, get outside all the things, but sometimes children come over and when there's less in the house or I'm like, no, you're coming over, but there's no screen time involved. I watch mm-hmm. the struggle, like the mental challenge of other children, not knowing how to play, yeah. not saying that my children don't go to other people's houses and not know how to play, but I'm curious what you see there. Like it does feel like an addictive detox. So we want our kids to play either independently or with other children, but it's like other children don't know how to play. What do you, what do you say to that conversation? Totally. You know, it's interesting. And my kids are in a school that now all the parents are getting together to kind of discuss the, the, the parent body stance on phones and their, and the kind of the drive and the hope is that together we can support each other in reducing and, and, and delaying, um, you know, smartphones. Um, but what I'll say to that is, look, we, we can't parent other people's kids, but we can provide ideas and prompts and remind children about board games, you know, about cards, about tags, about different, you know, really different fun games that they will absolutely enjoy playing a pickup game of sports, uh, building something amazing in Lego. Sometimes they need a little bit of a spark, like, of inspiration. Like, Hey, would you like to do A or B? These are both really fun. Right. One of the amazing things about, let's say the indigenous cultures is that the older children, you know, mentor the younger children into that. So when you see like a preteen or a teen and you're, you know, eight years old and they're playing pick up soccer all day, then you get into it and you think of it as something cool. When you're in a culture that just sees the teenagers on their phone all day, then you think that's what's cool. And you think playing isn't cool anymore. Um, and so, you know, I think, you kind of want to come at it from a multi-angled perspective of maybe having conversations with other parents that you're close to and being like, Hey, how about we do screen-free play dates, but we, you know, go to an amazing playground or we, you know, break into a new board game or whatever it is. Um, And I think the other thing is to be willing to be unpopular or to be willing to be weird. Um, And that's really tough. Parents will come to me the whole time. Oh, my kid says they're the only kid in their class without a phone. Or my kid says they hate me. And, you know, and I'm the meanest mom ever because I won't let them watch TV or whatever it is. And I just, you know, I've just grown so comfortable with that to the point where like that boundary, my kids know it just doesn't, I don't have any qualms about them disliking me. I think it's a service I'm doing to them. I strongly believe in what I'm doing personally around screens. Um, But to me, it's like saying, you know, if my kid was crying, oh, it's not fair that you put my seatbelt on. It's not fair that you don't give me crack cocaine. It's like, it just doesn't. Yeah. Okay. It's not fair. You can cry about that. I don't care. Like, I know that I'm doing the right thing personally. So you know what? They'll have plenty of time for this when they grow up. They can make their own decisions. They can buy their own iPhones and do their own things. 
and they won't have missed out on anything. So the thing is, I also just feel like if I'm wrong, the worst thing that happened was they, you know, were a little bit bored or a little bit less cool because they didn't have, you know, unlimited access. They still have screens. We still have screens at home, but it wasn't unlimited access. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if I'm right, then the worst thing, but if I'm right and I let them, then the worst thing that can happen is that it's, you know, really damaging to their attention, to their mood. Uh, you know, social media in particular, I think is very, very toxic. So I think, I personally think there's really a, quite a wide range of activity on a screen. I, I, I feel really fine if my kids are just playing Roblox for, you know, Minecraft for a few hours. I am a huge no to TikTok ever. Not, not now and not when you're 16. Like it will not happen. So you know, it depends what, it depends if it's boys or girls, it depends what age they are, what their friends are doing. But my point, I guess, is to be comfortable with leadership means that you're comfortable with people disliking your your choices. And you can say, I love you dearly. I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart. And I get it that you don't get it. Like you don't have to understand. That's what it means to be a parent. Just like you don't have to understand why you wear a seatbelt, but I still have to make you do it. Yeah. And, And just how you said that, you know, like, it's okay. I get it. You're not liking this is a different energy than getting angry and yelling at the child. If it is actually creating a disconnect, like a confrontation, most likely the child is triggering something deep within you that needs to be regulated. Um, because I do see a lot of people and myself included where I'm like, I don't have the mental capacity. Sure. Yeah. Go do that. And the reason why I did that is because I'm avoiding something within myself. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we got, it's a co-creation. We have to look at our own toxic, like lack of independent play. And what I mean by that is how often are you not even just the screen time? Sure. But how often are you playing beyond work, beyond all these other things? Like our children are teaching us boundaries as well. Um, so much. So my oldest is now 18. This has been, (laughs) I'm laughing. This is like my next book. Okay. So I thought as a parent, you know, mom is in control. I can control my children when they're younger. I can control what they wear, what they eat, what time they go to bed, all these things. When your child is now becoming an adult and you're saying, take your phone out of your room. And they're like, mom, I pay for my phone. I'm 18 years old. I'm a legal adult. You are not going to tell me what to do. You're weird. Blah, blah, blah. I do have control over certain things, but I have had to learn to let him experience the contrast of almost binging on things that I used to control, realizing, yeah, I'm not going to control all the junk food you put in your mouth because now you have a job and you can do all of that. It was a next level of me trusting with those boundaries, um, watching the innocence of, you know, as my kids get older, watching the innocence of their lack of play, um, you know, 13 year old now being like, I want a phone. I'm the only one left without a phone. I was like, sorry, I will never buy you a phone. Like 100% never buy you a phone. You can buy your own phone when you have a job and you can pay for it. And you like, I will never, and if your grandparents buy you a phone, I will say thank you. And I will literally hand it back to them. 100% certainty that will never happen in my home. Um, and that's just a non-negotiable. Well, I'm like, it's just, it's fascinating to watch the re 
It's like you have boundaries and then all of a sudden they grow up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is next level boundaries. But what are you, do you have any, I hate the word tips, but do you have any advice for parents of teenagers when it comes to, you know, we're reclaiming this play. You've worked so hard in their younger years and all of a sudden you're like, I've created a monster. Mm. Oh, it's such it's so hard. And my eldest is a I'm just curious. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I have 25 nieces and nephews. So I see this up close and personal in many, in many different iterations. And I have to say, I, I think my my uh my siblings are incredible parents. I'm I'm the youngest of uh six, and everyone uh, they're all parents. And um sorry, I'm just adjusting this. <clears throat> and they um they have really shown me uh how complex and maddening and challenging and confronting all of the things, right? It is to move from childhood into teenagehood and then into adulthood, which is again, another whole, as, as you're experiencing another whole, um, level. But uh, just recently, my brother gave me a great piece of advice. He said, the best piece of advice I've had around raising teens is that, uh, when you're, uh, when you're parenting young kids, you're their manager. Right. And like you said, you can control pretty much every aspect of their life. As they step into teenagehood, the goal is that they rehire you as a consultant. That is so good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. And I think it's very hard to do and to realize that kind of we're done once they're 13 or 14, like, sure, we still need to hold some, some clear boundaries and love and support and all of that. Um, but there is something around those ages where it's about saying, look, I've done what I've done. I've given it my best, you know, and now it's about a much more mature and, you know, a gradual and careful, uh, allocation of more and more responsibility, responsibility onto them. And I think that's so, Amazing that you told your child they have to, you know, get a job and pay for their own phone. That's amazing. And that's uh, countercultural in, in the best possible way. Um, and yeah, I think just I'm trying to do that now. So I'm just starting to practice that really. We're really just entering that stage of saying, okay, I can't just say, no, go to your room and all this stuff that would come out of my mouth when you were tiny. Like now I have to uh, earn your respect more, not demand it, right? But mm -hmm. earn the idea that you would think of me as someone wise, you would think of my opinion, my opinions and my guidance as worthwhile and that, okay, you'll make some mistakes and hopefully they won't be too painful or too, too expensive, but you will learn from those mistakes and then, uh, and then come back. And I think people do, right. People who have positive role models in their parents, they come back to respecting and to seeking their guidance, but it sometimes takes more than a decade. Like I think yeah. a lot of people I know only in their thirties are like, oh, wow, like my parents really gave me so much or I'm actually really curious about what they think about this. So I don't know. I always think about how parenting is such a long, it's a long, long game. You, have to take, you really have to take the bird's eye perspective and not look at the, the power struggles that are happening today, right? Mm -hmm. It's really that accumulation of the compound effect of investing love and time and energy over the course of, of decades. I can see all the work that I have done, like from a conscious parenting perspective and the impact it's making now as my son's transitioning. And I also see that doing more for him right now is actually not helpful. Like it's 
doing the opposite, you know, where he, where I was like, I never want to become my mother or like, I want to, you know, I went to the opposite of like, I want to overachieve and be a quote unquote good parent. And then having to unlearn that. But he's like, you've given me everything. I actually need to like, I want to make you proud now. Like I need to do this. And so I've have to learn to like back off and the independent play piece of this, like watch it. Like I want it so bad where I'm like, you need to, in my head, I'm like, you need to have tech boundaries as I'm sitting there and, you know, on my phone. And it's like, yeah, but he also needs to feel the contrast of not having that. And my job is just to observe. Like, I'm always like, I will let you like, I will never let you drowned, but I'm working my damnedest to let you feel your contrast so that I don't take away part of your, your pain and your healing process. And this season of my life has taught me the foundation, like going back to your work to circle it all back, try something rather than nothing, right? This all or nothing perfectionism that we have around parenting, especially this this conscious parenting industry wellness of like, okay, I'm going to buy your book. I need to implement every strategy. I need to do it perfectly. It's like, do less better. The fact that you are listening to this podcast right now already indicates that you are ahead of the game. Implement little bits here and there, and it is the long game. So just do something. And if your edge is, hey, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself like, are, okay, the kids can have screen time and I'm not going to put shame or guilt on myself when they do it, but I'm also going to try to be, get my productivity in during that time. Okay. I don't want, like, it's just, it's pushing your edge a little bit and asking yourself, like, are you happy with how you're parenting? Are you good enough? Because yeah, your kids go out into the world and you're like, oh my gosh you are you. I could not have controlled any of that. All I did was plant seeds. So I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. And you're like, Heather, remember when we had that podcast? And then, and then I, my children became teenagers. It has been a wild ride. It's been personal growth on steroids to the max. I thought toddlerhood was difficult. This is, but it's fun. (laughs) It's just a different level of growth. I don't want to scare people away. No, I completely, I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I see it and I, uh, I embrace myself and look forward and trying to, pro- to, to do what you're saying. I think the stepping back is really key. I'll just say one thing that I have on my agenda for, you know, and I, I kind of teach this in, 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 in my work because I think it's also so missing and I think it can mitigate a lot of this. Um, and I'm cautious of not sounding too preachy around like, you know, my tradition and my religion. I really think anyone can create this, but I'm just lucky to be born into this ancient tradition that, you know, has done it for generations. But let's say the idea of the Sabbath, one of the things that it does is that we're all under the same boundaries and together. So like yeah. we sit around a meal together and none of us are allowed to be working or on our screens. And we're all, you know, gathered around the table and we light a candle and have a family feast. And one of the very special things that you see is that teenagers are present for these meals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
I, I, I recently read in a book about someone who visited Jerusalem. He just couldn't believe his eyes because on a Friday night meal, the families were all sitting around and they were blessing the children and they were eating all this special food and and there were teenagers there. And he's like, it's a Friday night. Why are teenagers hanging out with their parents and little siblings instead of out you know, with their friends? And I think one of the things that we do need to do in order to become that kind of consultant versus manager and tell me if if this is true for you Heather but is kind of use that magnetic energy where there's something good here there's something warm here there's something loving here there's something safe and inspiring and fun and this this belonging and this bond so yeah of course you're a teenager and you're going to want to go and spread your ring, wings and you know be a bit apathic and be on your screen and say you don't care and do all sorts of things but also there's a really strong basis of like the meaning of our family, the meaning of being part of something that's more than just yourself, the meaning of our home. And I think if you can kind of try to put more of the effort on shining the light of what, you know, kind of, if you like that campfire, they'll come, you know, because people gather around and people want that sense, especially teenagers, they need to feel belonging. And I think often we're so focused on making sure they don't go over there or they don't get addicted to that or they don't rebel over here. And maybe the focus of creating something, that warm fire that they, they're drawn to, you know, something that's even better. And that's what I say to my, my kids when they're having a play date and they're like, can we play on the screen? I'm like, listen, play for, for 45 minutes, whatever, set a timer, but then do something even better. You know, go out and play an epic game of Nerf guns, whatever, do something fun. Um, and, and then when there's something even better, I think it, it really does offset the fear of, you know, of escape. Okay. That just gave me so much hope and joy and freedom. Um, yes. And religion is such a beautiful thing when there's rituals and it it's holding that sacred container of space for you. I've been saying to my husband, especially in COVID and post COVID because COVID, we just spent way too much time together and I'm like craving it. And sometimes I'm like, ugh, ugh. and I'm like, okay, I can't change anyone else's behavior. It might take six months to create that ritual, but I need to start it first. Even if it's just my husband and I, and then slowly they come. And then one of my favorite quotes uh, from Byron Katie is we teach people how to treat us. So if you start something, I'm like, all I can do is control myself. I create the sacred ritual. It's like Friday night, my phone's away. I'm doing the thing. If it's just me and my husband, or if you're by yourself, it's like just you slowly, the doors open invitation, invitation, invitation. And then, and then you're like, okay, phones like you can, you know, I might have to get my son there, give him some gas money or something and be like, if you show up on Friday night, I'll give you gas money. And then eventually that's actually how I got him to dinner one night, like out to dinner. And it's like, you got to play these games, but then slowly it becomes the part of the unit and the identity. And we all want that closeness. We all want that sense of home. So I know we could talk forever and I just wanted to say thank you. Um, Where can people find you because you are magic and um, yeah, this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable work. Let's just admit it when you're doing things differently, but this is why we need to brainwash ourselves with, with you. So where can people find you? So my main work is at highfam.com as in hi family. Um, so just highfam.com and all my handles are highfamlife. Uh, and if you want to learn more about play, then go to reclaimplay.com. And that's where the details of the book and the course and just really getting into the independent play is awesome. all there. And when is the book coming out? Should be, a, oh, 
I don't want to say a date because now it's all. Okay, don't, <laughs> don't. Touches. Month, yeah. year. I'm not even sure. Yeah, about six weeks from now. So from the okay. time of recording. So yeah, should, shouldn't be too long. Shouldn't be. Too well, long. this will be out when your book is out or around that time. Awesome. So they can go okay, to reclaimplay.com. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And then awesome. they'll know the true day of, of launch day. <laughs> exactly. Um, you're a superstar, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. It's always amazing to connect with you. Thank you. In my book, in chapter 10, Dying to Be a Good Mother, I talk about your problem child is your greatest gift. And this is part of why I started my business was parenting, conscious parenting, and seeing and understanding our children on a deeper level. So I have decided to start a private parenting podcast. It's called Emotionally Uncomfortable parenting. We talk about tips for managing stress and anxiety, navigating social media and screen time, strategies on dealing with the rebellion and defiant teen, and helping our children with their mental health. The first season of this podcast is all about raising resilient teens. And I'm going to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into other aspects of parenting and child development as well. But this goes way back to uh, the beginning of my career as a social worker and talking about the emotional aspects. I think we miss the gap between the practicality of it's not always about us as parent teen. Our children are struggling too. So if you're interested in joining us for the private conversations on the podcast, just related to parenting, head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash parenting. That's with, you know, parent and then I-N-G at the end, parenting. Um, And you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and anywhere you listen to Emotionally Uncomfortable, but you have to opt in first because you won't be able to find it online. So that's heatherchauvin.com forward slash parenting. I sometimes joke that I wish I taught people how to make green smoothies for a living, but I know I'm doing that because I'm trying to run away from what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is helping women and men, families in general, and children feel alive. And sometimes that journey to feeling alive is painful. It's emotionally uncomfortable, and it's not always easy. This is why I created the Aligned Life Quiz. So if you're tired of being tired, you want to stop just surviving, and you want to find out exactly where to focus and access realistic tools to confidently manage your energy, emotions, and impact, you can head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N dot com forward slash life quiz. It takes you two minutes and it's going to show you. I call them internal leadership skills. Where do you need to focus your energy and attention for the quickest results? And also, which phase are you living in? So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash life quiz to take the aligned life quiz right now. If you're ready to stop just surviving and you want to start thriving, but you don't know how to manage it all, go there. 
it will take you two minutes and it will change your life. I also, on the inside, show you which podcast episodes to listen to based on your quiz results. HeatherChauvin.com forward slash life, L-I-F-E, quiz. 